0: All right, Exodus chapter 34 this morning. What I want to do is continue with our study of God's attributes. And we've divided these attributes or perfections into two categories, which are incommunicable and communicable. Perfections, uh, they have been further divided into areas in the communicable area uh, where the perfections of God's being... Uh, His mental perfections, moral perfections, and perfections of purpose. And today we're going to spend our time in the area of the communicable perfections and looking specifically at some of God's moral perfections. Let's uh, begin our time together with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the service, the word this morning, Lord. Thank you for uh, the truth, Lord, that points us back to your Word, and that we can rest on it, that it is true, it is right, uh, it will not lead us astray in anything in our lives and in our eternity. And so today, as we continue to look at your Word, give us uh, clarity of thought and understanding that we might take these things, Lord, that are your perfections, but they are meant for us to... Do them as well uh, to show grace, mercy, and patience to those around us. And so we ask your blessings on our time. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to study God's mercy, grace, and patience. And we're going to consider all three of these together in one bunch because they are so closely related you usually will find these three mentioned under the umbrella of God's goodness is where they would fall. Uh, And here are the definitions for each one, and I will repeat these as we go through each one of them. God's mercy, or many times it is translated compassion, means God's goodness towards those in misery and distress. God's grace means God's goodness towards those who only deserve punishment, who deserve only punishment. And God's patience means God's goodness in withholding of punishment towards those who sin over a period of time. These three characteristics of God's nature are often mentioned together in the Old Testament. And we want to start in Exodus 34. Look at verse 6. It says there, then Yahweh passed by in front of him and called out, Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate or merciful and gracious, slow to anger, that would be patience and abounding in loving kindness and truth. David says in Psalm 103, verse 8, Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And since these characteristics many times of God are mentioned together, it may seem difficult to distinguish them. but there are some very important differences. Mercy is often emphasized where people are in misery and distress. In 2 Samuel 24-14, David had sinned against God by counting the people, and God tells Gad the prophet to go to David and give him three punishments to choose from. And what does David do? He throws himself on the mercy of God. He says in verse 14 of Second Samuel 24, Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us now fall into the hands of Yahweh, for His compassions or mercies are abundant. But do not let me fall into the hand of God. I don't know where each one of you are at this morning, But I can guess, knowing my own heart and life, that not too long ago or right now or something in the future is going to come into your life that's going to cause distress and misery. Whether it's relationship issues, whether it's a diagnosis you don't want to hear, simply aging, the burdens of lost family members, we cry out to God. We cry out to God for His mercy, for His compassion. For He is compassionate and merciful. He does hear us when we're going through different things. Matthew 9, uh, it talks about the two blind men who wanted Jesus to see what they were going through. And what did they cry out? Have mercy on us, Son of David. In that p- passage, we see two people who contribute absolutely nothing to society. They're beggars. And yet Christ notices them. Whatever plight or difficulty you're going through, when you cry out, God hears you. He hears you. He knows what you are going through. We do not have a high priest that is not informed of our afflictions and infirmities. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but... If you're like me, I have to be reminded of things over and over and over again that God is there, that He is listening, and that He cares. Yes. Because we can become well. I'll speak for myself. I can become a sad sack, yes. and I'm the only one going through this. Nobody cares. Nobody knows, and that is not the case at all. Second Corinthians chapter one. Look at verses verses three through five in Second Corinthians chapter one. It says, "Bless be the Father, bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ abound to us, so also our comfort abounds through Christ." Paul here refers to the Old Testament usage of God called the Father of mercies. Paul continues on and he says that He is the God of all comfort. And this is not like comfort we think of, that we're going to live a posh and uh, well-supplied life. In the context here, it is bringing comfort in the middle of difficult times, in the midst of suffering. What this comfort is, is strength. It is strength to uphold and go through a situation. God comforts us in our affliction. The term affliction has this idea of being crushed. It has great pressure. It's weighing us down. Listen, Satan and his minions desire to weaken you. The world is after you. Not to mention our own flesh and its propensities. All of these things are trying to... Put a wedge in relationships in your life to tear apart your marriage, to tear you away from church, to tear you away from people that will confront in a loving manner and help uplift you, that will help you with your burdens. Satan wants to see you fall. He wants to see you give up under the pressure, under the load. But we turn to God and we cry out for His mercy and He will bring comfort not giving us an ease of life, but to strengthen us so that we can move forward and honor Him through that difficulty. And you know what we're able to do when we come through on the other side of those afflictions, those great pressures and stressors in our lives? We've been comforted. God in His compassion and mercy has helped us through those times, so we comfort others and help others now. You go through things for the benefit of yourself, your growth. Maybe you need to be brought back. It could be chastening. Uh, It is for God's glory, but also for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Your life and your afflictions are not unique to you. You are not the only one that has experienced whatever it is. Whatever you've experienced in your life, whether it is by your own sin or by someone inflicting something on you or health problems or the loss of people in your life, whatever you've experienced, others have similar experiences. And this is where the church comes in. This is why we come together in fellowship. God has given us all sorts of graces in our lives. He's given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us His Church. He's given us people who have been through the same types of afflictions that can help us through whatever we're going through. We're not alone. We're not alone. One of the things that is easy for us to do is get that alone type of mentality. That I'm the only one going through this. That I'm the only one that's faced this difficulty. Especially when I was a pastor at another church, I felt very alone. And I said that to myself a lot. But friends, we are never alone, even if we're the only one that knows the crushing weight in our hearts. You're still not alone. I want to flush this out a little bit. This is not necessarily part of what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, if you will turn there. Eric's already made it kind of difficult because what he taught on this morning, I want to turn back around and go back through that because I'm teaching on hermeneutics at school. We're right in the middle of going through a three-week process of just digging into what it means to interpret the Scriptures rightly. And so I want to go into that, but I'm going to try to stick with most of my notes. So, yes, yes. It also keeps you from getting in trouble saying something you shouldn't. My wife always tells me, she says, if I have that moment where I say, well, I'm not sure if I should say this, don't say it. That's what she says. Don't say it. (laughs) Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, uh, let's start in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So when affliction comes, usually worry, anxious thoughts follow. So how do we guard ourselves in these moments? How do we guard our hearts and minds from buckling under the pressure of difficult circumstance? Well first, what it tells us here in Philippians chapter 4 verse 6, but in everything by prayer. By prayer. Talked about this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. The idea is prayer is like spiritual breathing. Prayer should be the first instinct we have as a believer to go to my Heavenly Father in prayer. It shouldn't be a last resort. When I was unsaved, it was the last resort. When I really got bad, that's when I went to God. Uh, But up to that point, it was all Jonathan trying to get through something and and manipulate and connive and get things how he wanted them. But for the believer, prayer never really ends. It's just sort of interrupted through the day because of our responsibilities. What it means in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing, it just means pray regularly and persistently. Take time to pray Pray throughout your day, so that when troubles arise, your first instinct is to go to your Heavenly Father, because you go to Him about everything else. Number two, we should make requests. Once again there in Philippians 4.6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition. We should petition the Lord. Uh, Harry encouraged us on this on Wednesday night out of Matthew 7, where it says, ask And it shall be given you. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And it will be open to you. And so we are to ask. Uh, And the, the thing there, when you get on down in Matthew 7 to verse 11, it's good. It's those good things that you're asking. You're asking things that God wants you to have. You know he wants you to have them. He knows you need to live a certain way. It's it's detailed out in God's word for us. And so we're asking for those good things to uphold under something for God to be merciful to us. And so we go to him and we ask. He hears. He can deliver. He gives strength, wisdom, mercy. He doesn't let us flounder. Uh, If you remember a month or so back, I preached out of Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, that's talking about ultimately salvation, but do we not become weary and heavy laden in our Christian walk? Go to Christ. Go to Christ. Number three, practice gratitude. Uh, It says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now this is a little bit more of a hard one. But you are to be thankful for the trial, the difficulty, the situation. In everything it really refers to all things that are coming into your life no matter what struggles trials or testings occur we are to give thanks for them is Romans 8:28 and 29 true that we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose God can and does even use Sin in an unbeliever's life to break us and to bring him to himself. He can use the sin in a believer's life to grow them. Now that doesn't mean that we sin so that grace may abound, does it? God forbid. So when affliction, worry, anxious thoughts, when they come, how do we guard ourselves from being anxious? How do we guard our hearts and minds from buckling under this pressure? And the fourth thing is to renew our mind. Look at Romans chapter 12. You know these verses. Romans chapter 12. These have been preached on and mentioned a number of times. Uh, Look at verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into the mold or the form of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. We are to renew our minds. And how do we renew our minds? They need to be saturated with Scripture. That's how we renew our minds. What we talked about this morning, we need to be in the Scriptures, in God's Word. How much time do we spend in the Scriptures each day? Um, Where are our priorities? Tommy's not here, I was going to use golf as an example, because I sure don't want to use football. (laughs) I don't want to do that, because uh, sometimes time gets away from us when we are um wanting that downtime, but we have to make the scriptures a priority. Yeah. And uh we need to look at those things. What we spend our time doing and thinking about, and are we spending the time that we need in the Word of God to saturate our mind? And lastly on this rabbit trail here uh is number five, take every thought captive. It says in Second Corinthians ten verses three through five For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds, as we tear down speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Yes, Paul in the context is talking about fighting against the ideologies and philosophies that hold unbelievers captive. But in a real sense, we can be bombarded with junk thoughts, with wrong thinking about ourselves or our situation. Intrusive thoughts can do so much damage to us. And we must stand at the door of our mind with the Word of God and not let wrong thinking continue to be entertained. We preach to ourselves the truth. Saturating our minds with the Scripture is the key to being able to preach to yourself the truth in difficult times. So praying, crying out to God, being thankful and saturating your minds in the Word will help guard your mind in difficult situations, and as I told you in Second Corinthians chapter one, there, when we have been comforted, when we come through that, then we turn and we help others. We now imitate God's mercy in our conduct to other people. As a teenager, just to give you an example of this. I don't know that I've ever just laid out my whole. Um, you know, testimony, but one thing that happened to me, especially when I was a, a young person, probably moving around 14 to even into my early 20s, I struggled a tremendous amount, not with grades because I didn't really care about grades. I just had to keep them up enough to play sports. I love being with my friends, uh, but I always had these doubts about salvation. I had all of these questions about. Christianity, and they were pretty, uh, pretty difficult questions to ask, and no one that I knew could answer these questions. I would ask them, and, and they just simply did not know how to answer them. Uh, actually, just a few weeks ago, I was talking to my mother, and she brought up these things. And she said that she was sorry that she was not able to answer those questions that I had about Christianity. She said, I'd never heard anybody ask those type of questions before. And so she said, I just I didn't know that those were questions and I didn't know how to answer them. But God in His mercy and grace has brought me through all that and I believe He's used those things to prepare me for what I do now. I have a heart for teenagers, for young people, Uh, Because of what God and His mercy did for me. And it took years. There was years of struggle and pain and difficulty. But He brought me through that. So I have a great desire to go back into a high school situation and teach kids the Bible. So that hopefully, by God's grace, they might not struggle like I struggled that they will experience God's mercy and grace at a much younger age instead of grappling with all sorts of things. And so in my class, if you were to go in there, there could be some blasphemous questions that come out of that classroom if you're standing outside the door or listening. But I'm okay with that. Some of those questions are doozies, but I'm okay with that. I had some doozies of my own. And that's what has happened with many of you here. God has been merciful to you in your life and you turn around and you show mercy to others and help others. That's what we should do. It says in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. This thing just keeps going around. God shows us mercy, we show mercy to others. God shows us mercy, we show mercy to others. And don't get caught in the trap of coming through a situation. And I would do this coming through a situation and then move back into myself. Uh, is so easy to do that. We cry out for God to give us mercy, and He does. He helps us through a situation, but then what we do is we sort of huddle up with ourselves again, and we don't show mercy to others. I've seen people come through something, and instead of having mercy and grace to those who are going through similar situations, they become critical of those people. Instead, we should show Mercy. So mercy is God's, God's mercy or compassion means God's goodness towards those in misery and distress. Now I want to look at God's grace, which God's grace means God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. Grace is God's favor toward those who deserve no favor but only punishment. And know that God's grace is always freely given on God's part. It says in Romans 9.15, which is quoting Exodus 33, it says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I've seen both sides of the spectrum here, where people just cannot believe how God could be gracious to them. And that's right, grace is amazing. We should be amazed at it. But there are those that can focus too much on their sin and they feel that God's grace cannot overcome what they've done or said or thought. For every look at your sin as a believer, you need to take ten long looks at the Gospel. Gospel is not just for our conversion, but is something that should be rehearsed each day. We should live in that grace of the Gospel. Um, And then there's others that don't seem concerned enough. Uh, or think enough about God's grace, and so therefore they're not gracious to others. When it comes to God's children, God is always gracious. It says in Psalm 119, 132, "...turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name." In 1 Peter 5.10, Peter calls God the God of all grace. In Paul's writings, we frequently see the idea of grace being shown to those who don't deserve it. He emphasizes that salvation is by grace, which is completely opposite of human effort. And the reason being is that grace is a free gift. Uh, You know what Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, "...for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift." through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I teach a class, and it's called UTT. It's Understanding the Times, and it's a worldview class. And we deal with the six major worldviews and what each worldview holds. And then the latter half of the year, we look at comparative religions. We take all of these different, like 20-some-odd different religions, and we compare them to Christianity. Um... And when you get right down to the core of all of those religions and you start to take them apart, you realize they're all works. Every single one of them is works. Uh, And by the way, uh, Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, that's New Age with Christianity mixed into it is all it is. And so that is very prevalent in a lot of writings. People talk about spirituality and talk about my faith. And that stuff is usually terms... When you're talking about you want to tap into your subconsciousness, that's right there at that New Age stuff of consciousness and opening your mind, clearing your mind. That's all New Age ideology. But Christianity, true Christianity, is the only one that is by grace. Turn with me to Romans 11.6. Romans 11.6. This verse gets mentioned over and over again in my class it says in romans eleven six but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. In short, what that's saying is if you add anything to grace, grace plus anything, you nullify grace is what you that's do. Right. You take the guys from Duck Dynasty, Phil Robertson and those guys. They believe in baptismal regeneration. That is Christ plus baptism equals salvation. And he comes to that conclusion, Phil comes to that conclusion, by using some pretty uh, seriously bad hermeneutics. But in Romans 11.6, when you add something to grace, what have you done to the work of Christ? You've nullified that. You no longer have grace. You have a works religion because you've added something to it such as baptism. Christ plus the work of baptism does not equal salvation. Paul tells us that grace is unmerited and that there is only one attitude appropriate as an instrument for receiving that grace and that is faith. In Romans, look at 4.16. Romans 4.16. It says in the first part of Romans 4.16, For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be according to grace. Faith is a human attitude, and faith is a gift from God. But it's a human attitude that is opposite of depending on oneself. It involves trust in or dependence on another. Faith is devoid of self-reliance or any attempt to gain righteousness by human effort. In God's favor, His grace is to come to us apart from our own merit, Then it must come when we depend not on our own merit but the merits of another. And that is precisely when we have faith. When we depend on the merits of another, of what Christ did. His perfect life and His perfect sacrifice. But grace is not just the forgiveness of sins, but the whole of the Christian life. It is a continuous bestowing of grace. You and I live in grace if we're believers. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God I am what I am. Do we understand that statement that you are today because of things in your life and a real sense of those things in your past events are God's work and His God's grace to bring you to the place you are now? Listen, would Paul have been what he was if it was not in part for his persecution of Christians? I argue that he would not have been what he was if it wasn't partly for that. I believe because he's so resolute, he's so driven to see Christ formed in believers. I believe that it is in part to his persecution of the church. What's gone wrong in your life? What things have you done? What have you said? What have you thought? What's in your past? Listen, folks, if we drug out any of our past today in the light, we would all be horrified. We'd all be horrified. We know ourselves and we know what we've done and what we're capable of doing. And even those things, I believe God is working in His grace to bring us to a place where we came to the end of ourselves. And if it were not for those things, we may not have ever come to Christ because we would have been sufficient in our own righteousness. We would be able to say, Look, I'm not as bad as Harry. Not as bad as Harry. I haven't done all the things that so-and-so did. And so then we we get in that mindset of I'm better than others. But when we really get a glimpse of ourselves and how depraved we are in all of our areas, we know we need grace. Now listen, God is not the author of sin, nor does He tempt anyone to sin, but He can and does use sin. It is by the grace of God and the work of God through your and my life that we are what we are today. And because of that grace shown to you, we are to be gracious to others. Uh, Sending people out is part of grace. We see that in Acts chapter 14. Us sending Bob and Stephen to Zimbabwe is God's graciously working in and through us. That is grace. We're dependent on God's grace, just as the church at Antioch was in sending Paul and Barnabas out. When we pray for others, we should pray for God's grace and blessings on their life, even our enemies. So God's grace is God's goodness to those who deserve only punishment. And now I want to look at the final one, God's patience. God's patience means God's goodness in withholding of punishment towards those who sin over a period of time. In the Old Testament, we hear this phrasing many times that God is slow to anger. We saw that in Exodus thirty four six, it says in Psalms eighty six fifteen. But you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Psalm one hundred three verse eight. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. The same thing in Psalm one forty five verse eight. In the New Testament, it says this. Turn to Romans chapter two. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says in verse 4 there of Romans 2, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 1.16 that Christ displayed perfect patience. Christ Jesus might demonstrate all His patience as an example for those who are going to believe upon Him for eternal life. How many of us would have been struck dead a long time ago if it was not for God's patience? I think most of us can it, nod our heads in affirmative that we would. I am extremely thankful for God's patience in my life. I believe, and Eric's mentioned this a number of times, and I've shared things with him, uh, that those that come out of that independent fundamentalist movement, for most of them there's this crisis of faith, and you begin to look back, and you begin to question whether you were actually saved or not. For a large portion of my life, I thought I was saved at five uh, five years of age. I wasn't. I did the rededication at 14 and then thought later on maybe that's when I got saved. But it wasn't. My life didn't change until I got older and after I got married. And I don't have a verse. I don't have some a date jotted down in my Bible. I, I don't need that. They're not going to be checking Bibles when you get to heaven. So I don't have a date. I don't know when. I just know it has. I look at my life now. If you want to know where you're at in Christ, look at your life Now, has there been a change? Is there a change in desires and motives? A change in direction? Looking back at all the things that I have done and said, if it weren't, if I was under the Old Testament law, my parents would have had to stone me a long, long time ago. But God has been so patient with me in my life and my foolishness. And I am sure most of you can say, looking back over your life, that God has been patient slow to anger. He has been merciful and gracious. We have been shown these things by God and so therefore, we show them to others. They are communicable attributes. Attributes that are communicated to us in some way, not to the extent God has them, but in some way, so that we can show others. We are to live a life that is patient with others. It says in Ephesians 4 verses 1 and 2, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling which, 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 with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. We have to be patient with one another. I have to be patient with a lot of you in here with your end-time beliefs. Some of you are all millennialists. Some are post. Some don't even know what millennium they're in. So obviously there's a lot of restraint on my part there. <laughs> it's the good thing about having a pulpit. You can take shots and ain't a lot of people can do. But we do in all seriousness need to have patience with each other. That's why we can congregate and have different views of the end times. Because we are patient, we are gracious to each other. And so, but we do need to have patience with each other. We're not all at the same place with our walk with Christ or in our physical lives. We come from different backgrounds, we have different experiences that are unique to us. Uh, none of that, though, is an excuse for people to act how they want. Yes. But it does mean that we are to be patient with one another patient with our spouses, patient with our children, patient with our co-workers because God has been patient with us. Christ has been patient with us, therefore we imitate him. We are to be patient in suffering as Christ was. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 20 it says for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, This finds favor with God. The idea is to be patient when suffering for doing what is right. Society is the opposite of that. It tells you in every way, shape, or form to demand your rights, um, to call about for justice uh, instead of seeking to be obedient to the Word. When you're doing what's right and you're suffering for Christ, you're made fun of, you're ostracized at work, whatever it may be, we are to endure, to have patience. And that is what pleases God. Patience is also listed among the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and so on. This bouquet of actions and attitudes which will become manifest in the believer's light One of them is being patient. Patience requires a moment by moment trusting God to fulfill His promises and His purposes in our lives as He chooses. Let Him choose the right time. So many times we rush into things and we're impatient. We should renew our confidence in the Lord that He will fulfill His promises at the best time for our good and for His glory. And I close with this verse, James 5 eight. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James is encouraging us that when we're going through suffering for the cause of Christ, that we need to look up. Look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether that's the rapture or the second coming or ever how you look at those end time things, He's promised to come back and He will. And so we're to be patient knowing that God will bring all things to His end. He will make all wrongs right. And we don't have to change anything, manipulate anything. We don't have to try to work for our way. All we really need to do is be patient and He will take care of it. We just keep serving Him today. Continue to show mercy to others. Continue to show grace to others and be patient with others. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You have reached across that gap and uh, You have revealed Yourself to us. uh, For without doing that, we would know that there is a great being beyond this universe that created all things, but we could not know His name. So thank you, Heavenly Father, for these things that encourage us to follow what you have said we should be. And we thank you so much for your great mercy, your great grace, and your patience to us. May we do the same with others. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.